We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're stuck in 2 Kings, and so let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 3. Um, we've been digging in this chapter. Uh, we've been mining some truths from this chapter, and I'm just going to keep on digging if that's all right with you. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 3 is kind of an obscure story. It's really strange. Um, and yet, I believe that in the middle of this story, we really do find some principles uh, that are applicable to our lives, that are applicable to us where we're at right now. I've heard from a lot of people over the past couple of weeks that we've been preaching this, is just how much it's speaking to them where they're at. And that's, and that's not because I read your mind. That's not because I have a secret like uh, agent that goes into your house and listens to your conversations. Um, I do have a secret agent. His name's Jesus. And he's listening to everything you all are saying. And he's talking to me about what to tell you. So uh, I, just, I, I just think it's so applicable. It's good to be, to be listening to the word of God that's applicable to your life right here and right now. And that's why we believe in church. That's why we believe in coming to church. It's not really for the coffee. It's for, it's for the fresh word from the Lord because God can say something to you in the season that you're in. And it can bring revelation to your life and it can give some perspective. And what I love about this story is it really draws a picture for us. I love pictures. It draws a picture for us of the kind of faith that God wants us to have, the kind of faith that it takes uh, to get from where we are to where God's calling us to be. And so in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 6, you you see that King Jehoram, who's the king of Israel, he went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. He mustered all of Israel. He himself went and rounded everybody up. He, he got recruits. He's been working. He's mustering all of Israel. And then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah, and this is the southern kingdom. He says to him, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And Jehoshaphat said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered by the way of the wilderness of Edom. We talked about this the first week. This is really the back road. He's taking the long way. He wants to attack Moab by surprise. And so he musters all of Israel, and then he brokers this deal with Judah. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. He also convinced the king of Edom to go with him. Three kings, and they're marching on that roundabout route for seven days. Uh, I talked about this last week how I'm thankful for people who marched through the wilderness with us. Uh, last week, the AC wasn't working until about 9.45 in here. So it was kind of like the desert in here. And uh, I'm thankful for all the people that stepped up and helped us. That, that didn't leave when it got hot. Come on, somebody. You, you need some people with you that won't run when it gets hot. That won't, that, that, yeah, they're ready to go the roundabout route with you. In fact, they'll even buy some fans. Jeff went to Walmart and bought some fans, like four, four fans right up front here to blow on the front row seats because that's the Lord's anointed seats. So some of you guys are like, fans? I didn't see fans. Yeah, that's because you weren't sitting in the right spot. But anyway, I'm just saying. But Jeff went out and bought fans. I mean, JT and, and Laura were working their tails off trying to get some. Uh, Marty and Fra Fra Franco was helping the guy do something. And um, anyway, it was, it, was, it was a mess. And then, oh yeah, Robert and Marianne went out and bought some ice cream sandwiches for you all so that as you left, you got a little treat. Because, because the, real, the thing that really annoys me about the no air conditioning, I don't personally mind it. I mean, I do mind it because I don't like to sweat. But I've, been, I've preached in Mexico and all sorts of places out in the middle of nowhere. And I, I, I'm fine. I've been in Nigeria. Like, it's, it's all good. I can, I can handle that for the gospel. But what, what ticks me off is that, is that it's it, what, what it says to our, to our guests, to our visitors. It says that we, don't, we haven't thought ahead. We, haven't, we don't value you. That's what it says in South Austin. Now, if you're in Nigeria, it doesn't say that. It just says, hey, welcome to Nigeria. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, but, but, but to, to Americans, that's what it says, and so I don't want to say that, and so I'm thankful that Robert Marianne went and got some ice cream sandwiches and says, we understand that this sort of was tough, and we, we, we don't want to treat you to some sugar and uh, uh, help you die a little bit earlier just so you can meet Jesus sooner because <laughs> we care about you. We love you, and so I'm thankful for that. Um, anyway, they went on the roundabout route. There was no water for the army. Man, they forgot water. There was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, uh, the, the, I think it's the NIV where he says, what? Yeah. It's a question with an exclamation. Alas, the Lord has, has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Right? Like, like God, this is your fault. I forgot water, but it's your fault. That's classic human 
thinking right there. But Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat is, is a picture really of a different perspective. Jehoshaphat is following and serving the Lord. And so in the middle of crisis, Jehoshaphat asks really the important question. He says, is there no prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? When you get into a crisis, you need to hear from God. You need to hear a word from the Lord. That's what you need. And so that's what Jehoshaphat says. Can't we hear from God? I mean, it's interesting, Jehoshaphat wasn't asking to hear from God before the crisis, but sometimes the crisis will drive you to that. And so he says, is there, is there no prophet of the Lord? And somebody says, yes, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. He poured water in the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha looks at them, looks at the king of Israel and says, what have I to do with you? He hasn't had his coffee yet this morning. Uh, He says, go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, the Lord has called us three kings together to kill us, to deliver us into the hand of the Moabites. Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor even see you. But now bring me a musician. And so they got the Hammond B organ and started to play. And it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And this is when he said, thus says the Lord, this has been our, our main text, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. God comes to them in the middle of crisis and he gives a commandment. Not so much a promise, he gives a commandment. He says, thus says the Lord, I want you to do something. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. And then the Lord gives a promise. You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet this valley shall be filled, is that word again, with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And by the way, verse 18, God says, and this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. The actual language says this is a small thing. This is a light thing. This is a small thing in the eyes of the Lord. God didn't have to throw that in there. This is FYI. This is for your information. Next time you get into a a situation that you can't find your way out, I want you to understand this is a small thing. This is nothing. This is a, a light thing for the Lord. He says, this is a small thing for me because not only am I going to give you water, but I will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. And so it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered after they made pancakes. We talked about that last week. That suddenly water came by way of Edom. That's, that's the, the desert that they just came out of. And the land or the valley was filled with water. And when all the Moabites, now, now, now you're getting the perspective of, of the enemy now. All the Moabites had heard that the kings had come up to fight against them all. Uh, everyone who was able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. So so Israel thought they were going to surprise attack. They didn't know the Moabites were waiting on them. They're standing at the border ready to attack. And so they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, on on the pools of water, in the ditches. All the ditches that they dug were full of water, and they looked down at the valley, and they saw the sun shining off of the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side, and it looked like it was red to them as blood. And so they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and they killed one another. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny how people will, will assume you have the same dysfunction that they do. It's, it's, it's funny. They'll just, they'll just project that onto you. You know, it's, it's not like, oh, maybe some of the guys are wounded and injured. But no, they probably got in a battle last night because they lost the poker game and they just went at each other. And so they just project this onto them. They say, yep, I'm pretty sure this is what happens. They've killed each other. Look at all the blood down there. Now, therefore, this is what they said, Moab to the spoil. In other words, you don't need your sword. You don't need your weapons. Let's go down and get free stuff. We're going down. And so they came down into the valley, into the camp of Israel. And when they did that, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them. And they entered their land, killing the Moabites. This is a beautiful story of God's uh, provision. God provides water for them. And this is what we talked about last week, that you need water. You need to prioritize. You need to be able to stop. Uh, You need to be able to halt your vision for just a minute in order to to seek vitality. You You can have an entire army 
right, with swords and shields and spears and armor, and they look like they're ready to fight, but they don't have any water, so they don't have any strength. <laughs> so sometimes, I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon, you're going to have to listen to it on the podcast, but sometimes how we look on the outside is not at all how we feel on the inside. Sometimes we look like we have it all together. But really, we're dying of thirst. And the drought inside of you is more dangerous than the enemy in front of you. The lack of water in your soul is more dangerous than all the forces of hell coming against you, than all the temptation in front of you. It is the drought in your soul that ends up killing you. And, and, and many of us attempt to, to, to wage warfare while we are thirsty. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot go to war without water. You can, you can get water without war, but you cannot do war without water. And this is one of the great lessons of this valley experience, which, by the way, I think re- really reinforces what, what the author of 2 Kings is trying to say. The entire book of 2 Kings is really kind of depressing because it's a chronological history of a group of people, the Israelites and, and their neighbors, Judah, who turned from God. And they turned from God, and they, they got their priorities twisted, And they prioritized warfare and alliances and battles instead of health. And so they neglected their own soul. They neglected the the place of God in their lives. And instead, they just went after the promises of God. (laughs) And so it's really a warning. It's a warning from from generation to generation that that, that you you cannot underestimate the consequence of, of, of starving your own soul. It doesn't matter if you have a great army. It doesn't matter if you've mustered all of Israel. It doesn't matter if you've brokered great alliances. It doesn't matter if you're a great visionary. It doesn't matter if you have a great plan and a strategy. None of that is worth anything if you don't have water. And so the priority of water is is paramount. And it's interesting that they would march for seven days. And just right there at the border of victory, they realize they have no vitality. They have no health. And the king of Israel, he's thinking, well, we're going to go to war anyway, because that's what happens when you're fixated on your future. <laughs> when, you're, when you're in love with the mountain, you don't value the valley. That's what I talked about the first week, learning to value where God's got you stuck. Being able to dig in that place instead of just climbing out of it. <laughs> and this is, what, this is what the king of Israel, he's, he hasn't learned that lesson. And by the way, he never actually learns that lesson. Jehoshaphat, though, is, is, is a different perspective, and he says, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. We can't keep going until we hear from God. we got to look after our soul. We have to look after our health. And so whatever heroics you're after in life, whatever goals you have, however good they may be, look after your soul, look after your heart, look after. The scripture says, Proverbs says, you've got to guard your heart because out of it springs all of the issues of life. Every issue of life is not from the outside attacking you. It's from the inside coming out of you. All your issues. (laughs) Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But is it all in your head? Yeah, kind of. And it's all in your heart. It's the battle in here has to be won before you attempt any kind of battle out there. And too many ministers are fighting thirsty. Too many Christians are trying to live thirsty. Too many, too many people are living off of their abilities and not off of their overflow of health. And so water symbolizes the Holy Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we must prioritize him. We must prioritize God. We must prioritize what is underneath the surface. Not just, not, not just what is growing, but what is, not just what is growing up, but the roots that are growing down. We have to be healthy. And uh, if you didn't get that, you need to listen to that message because that's, that's a big part of who I am, by the way. If you listen to all my sermons, I'm always preaching about the heart. I'm always preaching about your health because I'm not, I'm, I'm not that impressed with, with people who, who do great things and have no integrity. I'm personally not. I, they, they kind of annoy me. It's just one of my things. I love people with integrity. I love people who are what they say they are and do what they say they're going to do. That's one of the reasons why I stuck around at Promised Land for six years, because Pastor Robin is the real thing. I love his integrity. The style of worship wasn't the style I was used to. style of preaching wasn't the style I was used to, but Pastor Robin's the real deal. And so if you're, if, you're, if, if, you're, if you're in San Marcos, man, it's, it's, it's a great church down there because I'm telling you, the leadership is real, and they're honest, and they have integrity. They have water. You can learn warfare, but you, you, you cannot learn water. You've got you to get it. The problem is they're stuck in the middle of the wilderness. They can't get it. So God is going to bring them 
bring them water. So it's a story of God's provision. It's also a story of God's protection. God guards them in the valley from the onslaught that they were going up toward that they didn't even know was up there. They thought it was a surprise attack, and it wasn't. The Moabites were waiting on them, would have, would have cut them down as soon as they climbed that mountain. So God is protecting them, but, it, but it's also a story of God's positioning. He, he, he's providing, he's protecting, but he's also positioning them. He's placing them where he wants them to be in order to bring them the deliverance that he's promised them. And so today, I, I, I really want to talk about that. I want to talk about the ability to, to stay in the place that God's called you to be, even when you don't see the promise that God's promised you. But rather to keep on digging. If, if, if we go back to verse 16, this is God's commandment to them. He says, I want you to make this valley full of ditches. He says, make this valley full. In other words, don't just dig one ditch. Don't just dig two ditches. Make this valley full of ditches. And I talked about this last week, that it's not always that we need to go deeper. Really, we just need to be obedient to what we already know. So we're oftentimes, give me more knowledge, give me more knowledge, talk about the wings of the seraphim and how many feathers are on this angel and, that, and our cherub's really chubby and, and all of that kind of stuff. Like we want, we, want, we, want, we, want, we want to go deep, you know, deep, I want to go really deep. Well, that's great, but, but sometimes we, we go a mile deep and we're only an inch wide. We cannot retain what we receive. And so, so God says, make this valley full of ditches. Don't spend so much time going so deep. You're not, you're not digging for water. You're not digging in order to get water. Sometimes I think we, we, we put the onus on ourselves. Well, if I can just dig deep enough, I'll find water. And, and that's not what God's saying in this passage. The truth is you're in the middle of the desert. You can't find water for yourself. Your job is to prepare for what God has promised, to create space, to create an openness for God to fill. Create space to dig, to dig ditches, several ditches, lots of ditches. He says, make this valley full of ditches. And he says, when you make your valley full of ditches, then God will fill up your ditches with water. And it is the filling that not only supplies the health inside of your soul, but also the deliverance from your enemies. It's the exact, he uses the exact same pool to, to give you something to drink and to trick your enemies into coming down unarmed. God never does just one thing at a time, by the way. He's always, he's always working several things. He's doing something in your life. He's doing something in your kids' lives. He's doing something in your, in your grandparents' lives. He's doing something in your family's lives. He's doing something in the lives of your city. He's doing something in our country. He's doing something in our world. And all he asks for you is just to start digging. You don't have to see the big picture. You don't even have to understand. He didn't explain how it's going to happen. He said, look, just FYI, you're not going to see wind. You're not going to see rain, but water is coming. Where is it coming from? We don't know. Water is coming. And so he asked them, he asked them to, to, to wait for the water. But while they are waiting, he tells them to work. And that's a big part of waiting. If you're waiting on God for something, uh, let me suggest to you, waiting on God is not simply sitting around doing nothing, right? So you don't, you don't wait on God like this. You know, but many of us do. Many of us are, are, are we're, we're, we're chilling, waiting on God. Well, I just need to, just, just need to learn how to wait on God. Just wait right, right here. He's going to do something. It's going to be awesome. He's going to save my family. It's going to be so good. He's going to, he's going to do. And we, we surround away. And God says, no, 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 no. You got to work while you wait. If you're not working, you're wasting your waiting. That's www. That's, that's, that's what it stands for when you go www.citychapelchurch.com. It's if you're not working, you're wasting, you're waiting. You're wasting it. Don't waste a good waiting season. This waiting season was in order to get them ready. It, God, like, God involves us. He involves us. It's crazy to me. He could have just poured out water. He, he could have himself dug a bunch of ditches. He could have just, I mean, he could have done, he could have dropped golden cups down, you know, from the sky, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, big old, big old uh, ice chest, you know, from, from Ozark, from Walmart, because it's cheaper than the Yeti. And, but it keeps it cold for seven days in the wilderness. Come on, somebody. I mean, he could have just like dropped that down. And, wow, what is it? I don't know. Well, check it out. I mean, he could have done any of that. But instead, he says, I want you to start digging. Why? Because he's teaching us that while we wait for what God's promised, we have to work. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing. 
He wants us to be a part. He involves us. He allows us to be a part. And he asks us to work while we wait. To wait, yes, indeed. To wait with patience, yes. To wait with a good attitude, yes. But also to work. I don't know if any of you have ever had a good waiter before. Has anybody ever had a good waiter at a restaurant? I know we got Kristen back there. She's a good waiter at Cracker Barrel. Come on, somebody. And somebody stiffed her on a tip this week, too. I saw that on Facebook. That is so lame. We're going to, you got like a $4.50 tip on like $100. Terrible. I hope they weren't from City Chapel. No. Okay, you, you give me their names and addresses if they are. Don't be leaving no City Chapel card inviting people to church and give them a lame tip. <laughs> Double it. That's right. Give them, you guys, like the whole, the whole of the bill. Uh, that's, that, that's, that's how we tip. But, but no, no, to a, a good waiter... Is not somebody who sits here and just watches you eat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not a good waiter. A good waiter, yeah, watches you eat and notices when your glass gets about half full. And then she's like, okay, hey, I saw you need some more sweet tea. Would you like some more sweet tea? You know what I'm saying? And then, and then, and then, and then if anything's wrong with your meal, or if you're like me and you're picky and you order things kind of weird and you swap this out for that and that for that, and I always get this, and uh, this is a new person, and I don't think we do that. Yeah, you do. For 14 years you've been doing it. Just, you know, and it's, like, and, you know it's that kind of thing. But, but, but a good waiter is flexible. A good waiter notices what needs to be done. If you're going to wait on God, I would challenge you to be a good waiter. Why not? If you're going to do it, why not do it well? Why not work while you do? Why not notice what needs doing? Why not just say, hey, God, I think, I, 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 I think this person over here might need a ride to church. So, so until we get the bus, I'll be the bus. I'll go pick them up. I'll drop them off. I'll do something that needs to be doing. I think maybe we're going to do a movie in the park tonight, right? And so somebody needs to bring ice chests and coolers and, and stuff. And so I'll just volunteer to do it. This is, this is an interesting scripture, Psalm 119, verse 112. I'd like for us to put it up on the screen. This is what David said about, about, about how he saw, saw his role. He said, I have inclined my heart to perform your statues forever to the very end. I have inclined my heart to perform your statues. I have, this is my job. God has his job to do the miraculous. God has his job to bring water, to bring victory God has his job, but I have my job to incline my heart. And, 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 and the way we often sit is more reclined. You know, like you got the lazy boy, and you're reclined. And we're just taking life as it comes. Man, look at those stomach muscles. Look at that core. Dallas, check out the core. Is, Dallas keeps telling me I need better core muscles. All right, I'm working on them. And so you, 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 you recline. This is how we take on life. Right? We just take it as it comes. We just, I can't do it very long. We just, <laughs> it's not like I work out or anything. We just, we, we, you know, we, we just take on life as it comes. We just take on our attitude as we wake up. Well, if you can't say amen, just say oh me and get your feet under the seats because I'm probably going to step on your toes. But we, but we, but this, this is how we're, we're, we're more reclined. We're more, we're, we're, we're more passive. We're, we're waiting on God. To come, you know, save me from that. I prayed several times, and he hasn't, and he hasn't stopped this addiction, so I don't know what's going on. I ask him, take it away from me. <laughs> but I prayed that just yesterday. What's he saying? It's not, like, like I said, it's not because I listen to you. It's because I listen to him, and he's listening to you. And I'm just telling you, that's, that, that's not how it works. He doesn't just take stuff away. He, you, you, you're reclining. You know, you've got to incline your heart. You've got to get on the edge of your seat. You've got to incline your heart to his ways, to his thoughts, to his... Your, your heart is where it starts. If you want to change your behavior, you've got to change your heart. It comes out of here. And oftentimes, in our heart, we're just, we're just chilling. We're, we're, we're reclined. I'm just waiting on God to, to use me. I'm just waiting for Pastor Harry to send me an email and invite me to serve, and I, I want to vent. Nobody asked me. Really? Someone's got to come grab you on the... Somebody's got, to, somebody's got to grab you and get you involved? Somebody's got to unrecline your seat and get, take the remote off of your hand and the popcorn out of your mouth and get you to serve somebody? Really? Is that how this is going to go? Yeah, yeah. When you're, when you're living reclined... How, how come nobody asked me to do anything? I don't understand. I grew up... I grew up... My, my parents said, if you see something that needs doing, do it. 
You got eyes, don't you? you can, they, they work. Your legs work. Everything's cool. Okay, do it. If you see the glass is half empty, if you're a waiter and you work somewhere, like, go fill it up. Don't, don't wait for them to be like, ah, it's kind of thirsty. Just fill it. Keep filling it up. I mean, some of us are pretty thirsty. We're drinking a lot, okay? It's hot out there. Like, you, like if you see something that needs doing, you do it. You incline your heart. The position of your heart is so important when you're in the valley. Position of your heart. We don't. We 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 miss. We miss our opportunity to re, to really retain what God's trying to pour out on us because the whole the space of waiting that He gave us to prepare ourselves for His blessing, we wasted it, and we took a nap. And look, I mean, look at the scripture. He says. He says. He says. Going. Going back verse 16, he says, I want you to make this valley full of ditches. Now, this is the middle of the day. I want you to make this valley full of ditches. And then he gives them the promise. I'm going to fill it up with water. And this is a simple matter. And then verse 20, after verse 19, says, now it happened in the morning. It's funny how the Bible doesn't even bother mentioning how long the night was. I mean, it's obviously there because the valley was full of ditches. There were no ditches the day before. And the next morning, there were a whole bunch of ditches. How did those ditches get there? God didn't do it. He told them to do it. Let me suggest to you that they probably didn't sleep much that night. They were digging. And this is, this is, this is my second point, is if you're going to receive what God has for you, you're going to have to learn how to dig you're going to have to learn how to work while you wait. You're also going to have to learn how to dig in the dark. And this is what I think must have been mighty humbling for them because this is a great army, right? The king of Israel musters the best men in all of Israel. And then he gets Judah to hook up with him and gets the best men in all of Judah. Then he gets Edom to hook up with him and gets the best men. All these men are trained fighters. They're ready for war. And God says, okay, cool. This is a, you, you forgot water. I'm going to get you water, but you're going to have to start digging. And they looked around. They said, did you bring a shovel? I didn't bring a shovel. Did you bring a shovel? See, I was going to, today I was, was going to hand out a bunch of little plastic shovels, right? And like, it says a sermon illustration, like, you know, get digging. And then it hit me. They didn't have shovels. They forgot water. They certainly weren't thinking about gardening. I mean, nobody brought their rakes. Nobody brought their backhoe. Like, you know, the, 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 the bobcat is still in the garage. You forgot the necessity of water. Pretty sure you weren't like, well, better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Throw on those shovels, guys. No, they don't have shovels. They obviously weren't Boy Scouts. They're not ready for anything. They don't have shovels. And God says, I want you to dig. Isn't it, isn't it funny how the very problem that they faced was because they didn't have what they should have brought. And now God says, you're going to need something that you didn't even know you needed to bring. In order for me to give you what, <laughs> it's like, God, hold up, hold up a second. We're not ready to dig. We didn't bring the working crew. We brought the fighting crew. These guys are trained in combat. We got the slingers. We got the bow and arrow dudes. We got the javelin throwers. We got the sword fighters and shields of hand-to-hand combat. I mean, these guys are trained from birth. I mean, they're ready to go, but, but to dig, well, you know, I mean, might, might need some tools, maybe. No, you don't have any tools. Just start digging. And they're digging. Now, again, this, this must have been so humbling for the king of Israel. I think, I think sometimes God's trying to paint a picture to the king of Israel. He's trying to show the king of Israel, this is your problem. You think you're so ready, and yet you forget your health. And the way to get your health back is right here. The king, the sun's setting and of, on, on that valley. The king's watching all of his men. They've taken off their armor. There's big piles of armor everywhere. They've laid down their swords. There's big piles of swords. They've taken their shields, laid all those down. They're, they're stripped down to their, to, to, to their underwear. And they're down on, the, on their knees, just hacking away at the dirt. And they're, they, they're, they're scraping away at the dirt. And they're shoveling and they're gathering and they're piling it over there, and they're shoveling, and they're gathering, and they're piling it over there, and they're, they're digging, and they're digging, and they're piling it over there. 
I wonder, I wonder if God whispered anything to the king of Israel during that time and said, this is how you get water. This is not, this is not just a military expedition. If you, if you really want what only God can give, this is how you get it right here. You put your sword down. You put your strength down. You put your intelligence down. You put your degrees down. You put your, your, your stuff down. And you use the hands that God gave you. And you get on your knees. And you dig. And you start, and it's hard at first because no one's ever dug there before. People have been walking on it. It's hard ground. But you've got to break it up. And you get dirt under your fingernails. And you, get, you, 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 get, you, you, start, you start bleeding. You start cutting. Your hands start getting calluses because you're digging. And you're scooping it up. And you're trying to get it out of there. And you're digging a ditch because this ditch is going to be important for you to drink from. Because the deeper and the bigger and the wider the ditch is, the more water is going to be able to come in. And so you're digging. And you're, and, and you're using the only tool you've got. It's your body. Let me ask you a question. What's keeping you from your knees? What's keeping you from this position right here? What's, what do you think is so powerful in your life? What are you relying on so heavily? One of the reasons why we don't pray often is because we think we, our time would be better used doing something else. We do not understand the way that God gives water. We pride ourselves, we sharpen our swords, and we sharpen our strategies, and we, and we prepare our thoughts, and we get things together. But, but, but this is how water is got. This is how you get it right here. It's just digging right there. And you dig it up. And the sun goes down, and it gets dark. And so you quit because nobody can see you digging anymore, right? No. You quit because the compliments stop coming, right? You quit because you're tired. This is the difference between us and them. They kept on digging. They kept on digging in the dark. They kept on digging when nobody was, was able to keep track of them digging. The, 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 the captains of the armies weren't able to keep saying, okay, is so-and-so still digging? I don't know. Because I can't see you because it's dark here in this valley. I don't know. I hear a little something over there. Maybe he's snoring. You know, I don't know. He kept on digging without being monitored. They kept on digging without being motivated. They kept on digging without somebody behind them, cheering them on, telling them everything's going to be okay. They, sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Some, David said, I encourage myself in the Lord. I, I put courage inside of me. I wasn't waiting around for somebody to tell me how awesome I was and how, how I was going to be something great someday. I recognized that if I wanted water, I would have to dig throughout the night for myself, for my family. And much of what we produce in the daylight was pursued in the darkness. And you don't see that. Nobody, nobody, no, nobody talks about that. Everybody says, oh, I just, just can't wait, Harry, till, you find, till I find out what God downloaded to you this week. I didn't download nothing to me. What are you talking about? I have never got an email from God. I had to dig this stuff up. I got dirt under my fingernails to prove what I got out of this. I'm not just like sitting around in my office. Lord, I wish you'd really tell me something about this. I really wish you'd really help me figure this out. No, you got to get digging. And people don't see the digging. It's okay. They don't need to see the digging. I got the water to prove that I was digging overnight. The ditch is there. So it got there somehow. I did it. Me, that was, that, was, that was me on my back. I got that dirt out and I moved that dirt and I picked that dirt and I shoved that dirt and I created a space for God to move. And it's not that you get saved by your works, right? But the Bible does say that we are saved in order to do works, in order to work out from our salvation. And so if your family is going to get water, it's going to be because somebody in your family decided to dig while everybody else was sleeping. Somebody in your, if, if, if you're wanting to turn the tide on, on, on your family tree, someone's going to have to stay up late at night digging. You don't just sit around, oh God, I really wish you'd just pour something out and change things around, turn things around. It's not, sometimes your faith is exhibited in your ability to act on the promise before you even see it coming. It's not smelling like rain. There's no clouds in the sky. It's a clear night. I'm in the dark and I am simply creating a space that, that I believe God is going to fill. That's faith. 
You really believe something when you start pursuing it before you get any proof. It's faith. You take a check from God and you count it as cash. Well, he signed it, so it's good. It's cash. So I'm going to, I'm going to go purchase what I need based off of what he has signed and what he has said. I want to start digging in the dark. There's no compliments. There's no people to, to see. There's even no accountability. Who you are in the dark is who you really are. You don't need people looking over your shoulder. If you really want water. There's no accountability. There's, no, there's, there's nobody to check in on you. There's nobody watching you. But this is where God starts doing something inside of us that is deeper than a vision. Right? Everybody, every single time that we've, we've done, we've, we've done a couple of times where we've sent out a survey to you all and just asked you to tell us what you'd like for me to preach on. And um, I think every single time the number one requested topic is what is my purpose? It's the number one requested topic. From the time we started the church to the time, it, and I just hear it over and over. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Why does God have me here? What's, what's his vision for my life? Really, we want a vision statement, right? Like for my family, want a vision statement for my life. I want to know why I'm here. But, but God often never answers that question. So it would be kind of weird for the pastor to try to answer a question that God doesn't answer. And I, and I know I heard a preacher say one time, two greatest days in your life are the first the day you're born and the second the day you find out why. And I think that's kind of silly because, first of all, the day you're born is not the greatest day in your life. Like, you didn't do anything. Just ask your mom, who really worked on that day? I mean, who really accomplished something on that day? It wasn't you. <laughs> I've been there for two births so far, and I don't know why my kids get gifts on their birthday. Their mom should get gifts on their birthday commemorating the day she almost died to push that sucker out of there. You know what I'm saying? You didn't do anything on your birthday. It's not the greatest day of your life. You are the most pathetic on your birthday, actually. You can't even breathe for yourself. We're patting you on the back, trying to suck your nostrils, all the snots in there. You can't, I mean, you're like, you're like, you can't even see beyond like two inches in front. It's not the greatest day of your life. And the day you find out why, when's that? Tell me, is it when you're 16, 27, 75, 89 on your deathbed? Do you still really understand why God put you through everything that he put you through? Does he really answer all of those questions for you? I've never met somebody who knew the real why. Maybe, maybe God's not as interested in your vision statement as you are. And I know sometimes we think, hey, if I can get a vision of, of where I'm going and destination, then I'll be able to piece together how to get there. Which, but that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you would have told a 10-year-old Mark Zuckerberg, you're going to create a social media platform with the word book and face in it, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to connect people. You know, he just would have looked at you. What, is, what, what are you talking about? You don't even know the path to what you're going to create. Because it's not within you. You don't have the capabilities of that. And so God doesn't waste his time giving you a vision. He just tells them to dig. He doesn't tell them how it's all going to work. He just he doesn't tell them that the pools are going to be essential to their deliverance. He doesn't inform them the whole way it's going to work. He just says, start digging and there'll be water and I'll deliver the, and it's going to work out. And he gives a minimal vision because he's trying to do something more than just build a vision statement. He's trying to instill a value system. Your value system is much more important than your vision statement. That's why Proverbs, that's why a Psalm says, incline your heart. That's what you love. That's what, that's what you love. And I was sitting around a table this week uh, with a bunch of ministers from the area. Uh, it was like t 12 of us or so. And uh, there was this really old guy from uh, this church in Dallas, one of the biggest churches in America, actually. And uh, he was sitting there. And, and I just love veterans of the faith, you know, because they don't have anything to prove. They're just, they're just sharing wisdom. And so he's just sharing. And he's talking about that you need to figure out your value system, your value, what God, what God has put inside of you. And he said, you know, the one way you can figure that out is, is ask yourself, what do you love? Uh, well, no, he said, what, what, what makes you laugh, what makes you cry, and what turns you on? And, um, and I, wasn't, I wasn't raising my hand, but I just, I just kind of did this little symbol like with my, with my, my finger, you know. And so he called him. He said, yeah, yeah, Harry. I said, no, no, I was 
just thinking it's one, it's, 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 it's all the same woman. It's all the same woman. That's what I was thinking. And uh, she, she makes me laugh. She makes me cry. And she turns me on. And uh, I'm married to her, so that works out. Um, I'm always laughing a little bit, occasionally crying, frequently turned on. It's good. And, and, and he said, and so everybody kind of laughed in the room. They chuckled, you know. And he said, well, no, no, there's probably something to that. Like, if that's your first thought, if that's your first thought, there's probably something to that. And so I began thinking about that. I began thinking about uh, what, I, what, I, what I was looking for in a wife when I found her is so much of what I'm looking for in a church. Uh, like authenticity. People that are real. I've always had friends that were geeks. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. I've always had folks that were, like, nerdy, you know? Like, they go to Comic-Con and, uh, and, like, festivals and stuff, and they dress up as things and reenact battles. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I've always really been attracted to, to those kind of people because, because they're so honest. They're just honest. They're, they're not pretentious. Pretension just drives me nuts. It's just this inauthenticity sort of bugs me. I'm just attracted to that. I'm attracted to people who are authentically themselves, and they're just themselves. And maybe they haven't made it all the way. Maybe they don't know everything yet, but they're honest. I love that. I love honesty. Where do you learn to love honesty? Where does God instill that value? <laughs> well, when you're in a valley and, you're, and you start digging and you recognize that pretension, that sort of pretension, really means nothing. If they don't have, people don't have the character to back it up, their platform isn't going <laughs> to get them very far. And you start to really you start you start to realize what's real. See, dirt is real. Your sword is manufactured. You get rid of what's been manufactured, and you get down into what is real. When God starts digging inside of your life, He starts showing you what to really value, what to love, what to pursue, what to go after. And by the way, don't start dating people till you know what you're wanting to marry, because then you're just wasting everybody's time. I'm just put that out there, all you single people. I mean, get a list. You know what I'm saying? Figure out, figure out what you value. And it's got to be more than a waist size. You know what I'm saying? Like, figure. I mean, if you're in junior high, that's fine. Waist size is fine. That's junior high level. But if you're going to be a man or a woman, if you're going to actually think about your future, you've got you to figure out what you value. What, is, what, is, what are the qualities, the character qualities? Not the physical attributes, but the character qualities. And it's just, it's just like that way in a relationship. It's that way in, in, in your life. You have to figure out what you value in your family. You have to figure out what, what is valuable. And hopefully it's more than that your kids graduate high school and then graduate college and become smart citizens. Hopefully there's something greater than that. Hopefully God wants to do something more with your life than just produce smart people. Hopefully he wants to produce kind people, compassionate people, giving people, generous people, loving people, people who know God, people who follow God, people who have faith in their life, people who, who reproduce according to their own kind. They reproduce faithful people. And they connect with faithful people and they get to be friends with faithful people and they get people who are hard following after God and they don't ever let go of God because there's nothing better in the world than God. And it's within the dirt that you find your values because you're not going to keep digging if you don't really value it. If you want to do a little digging and you want to see who's looking. There's this story, and I'll, 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 I'll get closing with this, but there's a story in the Old Testament, uh, a guy named David. David, you've heard David and Goliath. And David uh, challenges Goliath, defeats Goliath, and, and that starts kind of his journey toward the throne. But actually, uh, he became the king of all of Israel. Uh, but actually, David, when he was about 10 years old, he was anointed to be king of Israel. The prophet came to his house and said, God sent me here to pour oil on one of the young men of this house, and they're going to be king. And so everybody, all the sons, I think there was six or seven sons. He had a lot of brothers that uh, all came before uh, the prophet. And the prophet Samuel said, no, it's not you. It's not you. It's not you. God, God, God wouldn't let him anoint the wrong guy. And so finally he said, was there somebody else? And uh, his dad, uh, David's dad, thought, had thought so little of him that he forgot to call him in from the field. And so he said, wait a minute, I got a 10-year-old kid out there watching some sheep. And so he brings David in. And when, and, when, and when Samuel, when the prophet sees David, God says, that's the one who's going to be the next king of Israel. And so Samuel breaks out the oil, pours it on his head, and says, you are the next king of Israel. <laughs> Talk about 
some expectations on you. Like you're 10 years old and you're told you're the next king of Israel. <laughs> All right, brothers. Sorry, I can't play football today because uh, I'm the next king of Israel. wouldn't want to fracture my royal hand. You know, I got to save my strength for being the king. He's 10 years old and he knows that he's going to be the next king of Israel. How would you live if you knew what you were going to be? Well, I'll tell you, it's not as easy as you think. Because whenever God gives you, drops you that vision, suddenly now you have to live with the weight of an unfulfilled vision. And at 10 years old, he's the next king of Israel, and his dad says, that's nice. Go watch the sheep. And he's out there with the sheep. And he's sitting around, and it's not safe out there. The next king of Israel has no bodyguards. There's no, there's no drones following him around. There's no secret service. The next king of Israel is by himself out in the wilderness and he has to sleep at night just up against a tree and hope he doesn't get attacked by a lion. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, this is not a safe place. I'm the next king of Israel. Somebody better be watching out for me. But no, he's just out there by himself in the hills of Judea just hanging out watching sheep. And one day... His fear happens, right? A lion comes out of the woods, sees the sheep, looks at David. David looks at him, looks at the sheep. David looks at the sheep, looks at David. David looks at him. And the lion goes for the sheep. Now, now, if I'm the next king of Israel, I'm going to push down another sheep and take off running because this is my chance maybe to get away. Because the next king of Israel is just right there with a lion. You don't know what's going to happen. And instead, what David does is he, he challenges the lion to a race to the sheep. Now, David wasn't the fastest guy, or at least not as fast as the lion. So he didn't get there first. The lion got there first, grabbed the sheep in his jaws. And you know how lions do. They get right in the neck usually snapping the neck as soon as they clinch down on him. And then he starts pouncing away. And now if I'm David, I'm thinking, well, guess he lost his sheep. <laughs> no, David jumps on the lion, grabs his fur, and starts just with his hands just beating him. <laughs> and he's got this little stick, right, this little shepherd's thing. He's like beating, he's beating the heck out of this thing. He kills the lion. And you say, why would you kill a lion for a dead sheep? And this is where, like, like, like David could have been all sorts of bitter. He could have been all kinds of bitter. Number one, he prayed for a hedge of protection around him. <laughs> and he forgot that a hedge is really just a bush about two and a half feet tall. The lion jumped over the hedge. Lord, I pray for a hedge of protection around me. I don't understand. And the lion jumped over the hedge. Sometimes the devil jumps over the hedge you prayed for. And he's, and, and he's vulnerable. And so now his sheep is getting attacked. And his sheep dies and he fights for a dead sheep. Because God's looking for people that are not just ready to do what works. They're ready to do what's right. And if you, if you notice the battle that he has with, with Goliath, the whole thing is not about this thing's going to work, guys. It's about this is not right. Because his value system was built in the field that prepared him for the fight that he was going to face. He didn't even know he was going to face a fight. He thought he was going to be king. He didn't know he needed to train to be a warrior. He's going to be king. And yet God began shaping his value system that even for a dead sheep, that even for people who, won't, who aren't going to give anything back to you, I'll fight for those people. Even for people that are, are still, still going to leave, I, I'll, I'll fight for those people. I'm, I, I'll, I'll fight even when it doesn't work. I'll do what's right even when it's not working. I'll, I'll, I'll compliment my wife even when it's not working. I'll, 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 I'll talk to my kids about Jesus even when it seems like it's not working. I'll keep praying even when it's not working. I wonder, I wonder if God's trying to teach you something in the valley about doing what's right even when it's not working because what's right even when it's not working prepares a space in your heart for God to be able to set up a value system inside of you. And that value system is what guides your vision. He doesn't have to give you the whole picture. He just instills a value in you. 
and that value teaches you what is right, teaches you what you ought to do. He didn't have to pray, hmm, should I attack Goliath? Should I attack Goliath? I'm going to pray about this and fast for three days. I'll come back to you. I'm just waiting on the Lord, reclining, asking him, should I go fight the giant or not? No, he, he had a value system instilled in him so that when the time came, he didn't even have to pray about it. He just did what God had already taught him to do. God's trying to teach you something in this season. It has not little, little to do with your vision. It has everything to do with your values. You don't need a vision statement. You need a value system. And out of that value system come steps and decisions and words and conversations and, and selling of your house and doing big, big things come out of values. Big things come out of values. And so, Lord, right now, this is what we do. We just, we just return to the place where it's just us and you. Lord, forgive us for every bit of armor that we thought was going to save us, for every bit of self-determination that we thought was going to get us out. With our own hands, we'll dig. With our own hands, with our own knees, we'll, we'll, we'll pray. For everything that's keeping us from our knees, Lord, remove it from our life. Everything that's keeping us on our feet, remove it from our life. Everything that's keeping us looking up at the mountain, remove it from our life. You don't want us to climb to a new level. You want us to sink to a new level. We're going to dig. We're going to use our own hands. We're going to use our own time. We're going to use our own family. We're going to use our own lives. We're going to use our own decisions, our own resources. We're going to use our own money. We're going to use our own opportunities. We're going to use our own talents. We're not going to rely on something else. We're not going to rely on some system or some, some, some other person to come alongside, some support system. We're going to use what you've given us. We have two hands, and we can start preparing a place in our heart, preparing emptiness, God. We pray until we need you. <laughs> we'll pray until we're empty. We'll pray until we're empty of all of their plans. We'll pray until we're empty of all of their resources. We'll pray until we're empty of all of their confidences. Until we're empty of all other leanings, of all other strengths, of all other plans, of all other resources and strategies. We'll pray until we've come to the end of ourselves. And with our own two hands. With our own two hands, we'll dig in the soil of our, of our Bible. <laughs> Lord, forgive us for leaving that soil completely undug. First, we'll dig off the dust that it's been collecting, and then we'll whip it out. And we'll start digging in the pages of your word. We'll start digging even when we don't understand it. We'll, we'll just keep digging until, not even until we hit something, until something hits us. We'll keep digging until you speak to us. We'll keep digging until we, you, you give us something to grab a hold of and remember and memorize throughout our day. We'll keep, we'll keep reading. We'll keep listening to, 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 the, to the audio Bible in the car. We'll keep digging in your word. Keep digging in the soil of, of your church until you change us. We'll keep digging. We'll keep attending. We'll keep, we'll keep showing up. We'll keep, we'll keep coming back to the place where you speak to us so that you can change us and so that we can speak to others, so that we can be something for somebody else. But until that point, we're going to keep digging right here. We're not going to move on. The strength that comes from survival is actually the strength that is needed once we get to the top of the hill. You are strengthening, conditioning us right here and right now. And we think we're just surviving. We think we're just fighting off lions and tigers and bears, oh my. But really, you are preparing us. Survival is preparation. Just to stay in the place that you've called us to be for as long as you've called us to be there. Many of us never see the fruit of our labor because we jump ship when things get hard. We never get to see the valley full of water. We never get to see the ditch that we started to dig get filled with water because we don't have the patience to wait until the water comes and to keep digging. We never get the joy. We never get the joy of a marriage that's been through something because every time we go through something, get out of the marriage instead of receiving the joy of a marriage that has been through something. So we choose to stick around in our valley. That's something, that's something that Ro was talking to me about the other day. She said, um, 
can you believe it's, she said, can you believe it's almost 11, 11 years in August that we're going to be married? She said, uh, just seems like yesterday. I said, yeah, I know. We're getting old. And uh, she said, she said, well, we're not really getting old. It's just a number. Age is just a number. 11 years married is just a number. I said, babe, that's what old people say. You know what I'm saying? Like, college, college people don't say that. <laughs> you get in your 40s, that's what you start, it's just a number. Um, in the late 30s. But anyway, you know, that's just what old people say. And I, I said, well, it's not really just a number. And she's like, well, no, really, because 11 years versus one year is no different for us. We're still, like, we're still passionately in love with each other. It's just, it's just a number. Like, why, why are we celebrating? Like we, like we scored a touchdown or something. When, you know, it's just, just life. It's a great life. It wouldn't change. It's a good life. I said, yeah, it's true. It's, it's true. I mean, on the one hand, I see that. But on the other hand, an 11-year marriage is different than a one-year marriage. Because in order to get to 11 years, you have to do a lot of forgiving. You also get to know a person. Like, like I married Roe before I knew Roe. Like, I didn't really know her. She told me later that as she was coming down the aisle, you know, you always have that. Uh, she's coming down the aisle, and um, she sees me there. I see her. She said she was thinking, this is later on, not like not there that day, but she told me she was thinking, am I making the biggest mistake of my life? Oh, what? That's what you were thinking? She's like, yeah, what were you thinking? I was like, well, if, I, I was trying to hurry it up so we get back to the hotel, okay? That's what I was thinking. But it's just, got, if we're being honest, that's what I was thinking. And she's like, oh, that's so crazy. Okay. But she, that's what you were thinking. So now, like, I do weddings, you know, and I'm the pastor, and here's the guy right here, and he's so, she's so beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, she's probably wondering if she's making the biggest mistake. And you thought she was walking slow because the music trying to keep it. I know she's like, it's all right. We can wait. We can hold up here. We'll just hold up a little bit. You don't know your spouse when you marry them. You don't have a clue what she's thinking. <laughs> But after 11 years, like, I look back on pictures, and I'm like, I know that look. I didn't know it then. I know it now. <laughs> and uh, I remember just one time, I know it's getting late, but one time we, um, we, we, we'd been married a week, and we were driving around the, the country just visiting some of my friends and stuff and trying to figure out where God wanted us to go, and we stopped by Burger King. And we never stop by Burger King anymore, but this is what you do when you're first married. You stop by Burger King, and uh, we each got a Whopper. And so she's, she always, like, she always like gets, gets my sandwich ready, you know, because like, I'm driving. And so uh, in, in my family, like, you don't start eating until you're on the road. By the road, I mean the freeway, not like the road. The road is the freeway. So she, she, she's getting my sandwich ready and stuff, and, and then she hands me my sandwich. I, I get on the freeway, and I'm, I'm a fast driver. I get on the freeway, she hands it, thank you. And I look over, and I'm like, didn't you get a a burger? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I ate it already. Like, what? I'm kind of sarcastic, so I'm like, I'm like, what? did you taste it? Because I'm pretty sure we get a stopwatch out here, and there's probably some kind of Guinness World Record. Like, we need to do that again. We go back through the drive-thru, you start, we'll, we'll just time it, you know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, I'm, I'm cracking myself up. I mean, I'm having a great time, and she's kind of getting quiet. And I didn't know, but when she was younger, somebody had mentioned something about her eating fast, and it had offended her, and she was, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a landmine, it was a Rowena landmine. <laughs> Any married couples ever step on a landmine before? You don't even know it's there until you hear the click, and by that point, I mean, there's nothing you can do. I guess I'm sleeping on the couch tonight, I lost that leg I'll just try to survive we just I mean that's a lot I didn't know the landmine was there and, and we've had 11 years of discovering landmines and I've had some landmines I'm like what do you mean by that what are you talking about why are you going to say you know I mean like we, we like everybody's got some landmines 11 years means you've 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 
you stepped on a few, but you've also learned how to locate them before you just walk in there like an idiot. You know, you figure out a few things. That doesn't mean I love her more. That means I love her better because I know what I'm loving. And she knows what she's forgiven and what she's loving. And there's a depth that you don't get when you run away on the first landmine. Fear of missing out, FOMO generation. What they're really missing out is they're missing out on the joy of a harvest of something that they planted, stuck around for a while and watched it grow. They're always planting stuff and never get to reap anything. I don't want that for you. I want you to stick around. I want you to see what happens.